to this episode of Talking Constitutions, a series of podcasts in which we explore the constitutional arrangements that frame the day-to-day affairs of politics and affect our lives in so many different ways. Our subject today is courts and constitutions. My name is Stephen Gethins, and with me today I have Lorna Drummond, Catherine Styler, and John Hudson. Lorna Drummond QC is a sheriff in Tayside Central and Fife, sitting at Dundee Sheriff Court and also a Justice of Appeal in the Court of Appeal in the territories of St Helena, Ascension and Tristan de Cunha. John Hudson is a Professor of Legal History at the University of St Andrews and Catherine Styler was a Labour Member of the European Parliament for 20 years and is now the Chief Executive Officer of Creative Comms. Lorna, can you maybe just set out for us what constitutional roles courts exercise? Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, there are a number of aspects to the court's constitutional role. I'd say primary one is to determine uh, disputes about the powers of the various institutions within a constitution uh, and the legality of their decisions. So in the UK, that might be legal questions about the exercise of powers by the UK Parliament or the UK government. Or it might be questions about powers exercised by our devolved governments and parliaments within the devolution settlements. To some extent, courts also consider the legality of legislation. So that can extend to striking down secondary legislation or even to declaring primary legislation to be unlawful. And courts can also deal with legal questions between the government and, for example, outside bodies like the European Union under the guidance of case law from the European Court of Justice. But I suppose most crucially, uh, to my mind anyway, the court's constitutional role can be shown when it protects our fundamental rights. That's the fundamental rights of individuals from interference by the state. For example, in the UK, this would include protecting rights under the European Convention of Human Rights, as well as under European law. And more generally, the courts have a constitutional role in determining that public authorities act lawfully, that they don't exceed or they don't abuse the limits of their powers. The way that's done through the courts is generally speaking through the process of judicial review. Uh, And that's a court process where the courts scrutinize acts and decisions that are made by public authorities to check that they have been lawfully made. It is a really important and powerful tool that the courts have and a role that they play Successful judicial review can result in governments being forced to do things that they were trying to avoid uh, or don't want to do in some way. Or it may be that government policies have to be rethought and legislation is deprived of having legal effect. Okay, thanks for that, Lorna. That's a really helpful overview. I'm going to turn to Catherine now. I'm wondering, how do you think courts fit into the wider efforts to provide scrutiny of and restraint upon the executive? And, and John, I'm wondering if you can pick up on that after Catherine's responded as well, please. So from being a member of the European Parliament previously to uh, being part of a, a court case where we did try to put scrutiny on the executive, I think that the mechanisms to do that, certainly when we're in a period of flux or a period of change is something important and it's also about how we have accountability to power and how we hold power to control so I think that when certainly I've reflected on this I think that it's important that we have knowledge and respect and also the ability to be able to fund those actions and I think one of the 
reflections I have was that the, the court action we took in terms of holding the executive to account in terms of what we were doing over Article 50 was one that was crowdsourced even. And it, if we hadn't had the crowdsourced funding, that would not have happened. And I think when we want to have a system that works and an executive that is held to account, we need to think about ways how we fund such actions. But John, do you agree with what Catherine's just said? Yes, I do. And I think that's also worth thinking whether one might broaden the consideration in certain ways. I think that often one is thinking of the role of the courts or the judiciary in the major constitutional cases, the things that are very clearly to do with constitutional issues. But it's worth also thinking about it in a couple of other ways, one of which is that, in a way, automatically within a common law system, the courts, the judges are making decisions about legislation. And therefore, there's a continuous process in a way of piecemeal review of pieces of legislation as to how they are applied. Now, whether this is considered restraint and scrutiny of the executive or whether it's of the legislature or whether it is dealing with the fact that the executive and the legislature are so closely connected is an issue we've been looking at at other times. The other one depends, obviously, how broadly one defines constitutional or constitutional. Again, one tends to think of issues like human rights legislation or things like the prorogation case. But it may well be that constitutional roles of the court extend more broadly, for example, to things like employment law. In a way, one of the great constitutional cases of recent decades concerned whether members or people working at GCHQ were allowed to belong to unions. Is that an employment law case? Is it a constitutional case? Actually, it's really both. So it depends how one defines constitution and how broadly one wants to consider that and judicial review. Just just to build on that, what, what do you think has been the constitutional role of courts, say, within the UK, looking to the past? And I'll, I'll come to Lorna in a minute about the, the, the present, but how, how do you think that's worked in the past? The great authority, the Victorian authority on the Constitution, uh, who came back into vogue in the late 20-teens, A.V. Dicey, was very keen on the idea that there wasn't a separation of a constitutional role of courts from other aspects of court's duty. He saw one of the qualities of the what he would probably call the British Constitution, being that these cases, be they constitutional, be they administrative, were dealt with in the common law courts. And again, he would see this as a virtue compared particularly with France. The, the dislike manifested by Dicey about the French system and the peculiarities and the virtues of the UK one continue with dislike of some people might call foreign systems, be it the role of the American judiciary within American politics, sometimes seen as the vice of a litigious society, but also quite a lot of the criticism of EU law and the way that that intruded into affairs, which should simply be matters for good, and most people would say English, and I think specifically English courts. Thanks for that, John. Now, Lorna, quite a lot has gone on in this area over the past couple of years. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about the constitutional role of courts within the UK at present. Thanks, Stephen. Well, a lot has gone on in the last couple of years. Absolutely right about that. 
I would say a lot has gone on, in fact, over the last 30 years that has really transformed our constitution. And I don't think that is an exaggeration. And when we look back, seeing that we've had reception of EU law in 1972 into the UK, the incorporation of the European Convention on Human Rights through the Human Rights Act, we've got the devolved settlements in 1998 as well. We're now facing the prospect of uh, leaving the EU and what that settlement is going to look like. So it's been a rigorous time of change within our constitution and it has involved the courts taking a quite a a leading role, really, in terms of the constitution. Within that, the process of judicial review has developed and has really been extended, I I would say. Judicial review actually as a whole process was only ever introduced in Scotland in in the 80s, so it's, it's actually quite a recent phenomenon. But within that, as I explained earlier, the courts will look generally at our constitutional institutions, the parliament, the government, also public authorities, and scrutinise their decisions ask if these decisions are reasonable within their powers, whether they've been carried out uh, under proper procedures uh, in a fair manner and whether they're compatible with European law or uh, convention rights as well. So they are very, very important decisions that the courts are making in these cases. And we've seen in all the sort of controversial cases in the last few years, and I'm talking about the Miller cases The first Miller case, which was all about whether the UK government could trigger Article 50 without Parliament's consent. And also, importantly, whether the devolved governments needed to consent to that. And then we had the second Miller case about prorogation of Parliament. And we've also got the Whiteman case, which was another situation which uh, involved European law and uh, was about whether the UK could unilaterally withdraw from its intention. So unilaterally change its mind about withdrawing from the European Union. So these have been politically contentious cases and the courts have been involved in actually declaring the legality of these acts. And I think they've really sort of highlighted the extent of of the court's uh, jurisdiction and have really flagged up how important their role is. We've also seen the way that judicial review works now, the courts will look at not only applying and interpreting legislation, but also in deciding whether that legislation is valid. Certainly so far as acts of the Scottish Parliament is concerned, there are power for the courts now to strike those down, declare them invalid. And so far as acts of the UK Parliament are concerned, these can be declared incompatible with convention rights. And in terms of European law, also the courts can choose not to apply them. So where we are presently, in terms of the court's constitutional role is that it's very far-reaching and quite significant. There are actually still arguments within the courts as to how far-reaching, how even more far-reaching the court should be in scrutinising and deciding whether decisions of public authorities are lawful or not. Thanks, Lorna. And I have to say that as a parliamentarian during some of that time, I never thought I'd find the day when having the Supreme Court just to cross the road from Parliament was going to be handy for people. But that's, that's <laughs> the way it played out. <laughs> Catherine, can you tell us also in the constitutional role of courts, we've also got supranational courts, which you've got some experience in. I wonder if you can comment on the role that they've When you reflect at the moment where we're at, Stephen, in terms of leaving the European Union, the one that I know most about is one where new relationships will be set. And I think when we made law as members of the European Parliament, we're very, very astutely aware no decision was made 
really without government approval. So when we go in to have the conciliation meetings that we had to create law, we were doing it with the Commission and the Council and the Council being the, the interlocutor that you had to negotiate with and the Commission being present. And so when I negotiated pieces of legislation that became law in the trilogue negotiations that we would go into as members of the European Parliament in our various roles, I was astutely aware that that law then is scrutinised and could be challenged at the Court of Justice. And so it was, we are where we are with Brexit, but that responsibility that you had as a parliamentarian in a trans, in a parliament of 28 countries, make law where people would abide by 500 million people and that scrutiny and that ability, but yet the lack of understanding of how that law really was made is something and the court's role at the end if things were to be challenged was something on reflection that we could have communicated in a much more effective way and trying to allow people to know where their rights sat. I think the new relationship that we'll have coming out of the European Union sadly will be one where decisions will still be made by institutions and still be challenged and we will have to abide by some of the rules in order to be able to trade and that is still the case at, at the moment. I think Catherine you make a really good point there about the world's changed you know and, and, and leaving the European Union whether you believe in that or not will have significant changes and sure the chaos and confusion over the past two or three years has led to some calls of reopening that debate around a written constitution Let's say there's a written constitution. Do you think that would lead to a greater constitutional role for courts? I think it's obviously worth pointing out at the beginning that there are written elements to the UK constitution. Some are acts of parliament, like the Human Rights Act, but there's also things like the decision in the prorogation of parliament case. That written decision is part of constitutional, the constitution. So in a sense, it's becoming a common law of the constitution based on written judgments. So really what we're talking about here is some sort of codified single document or very few document constitution. With such constitution, with a written constitution, obviously you need someone to interpret its difficult points. One of the things arguably about writing down laws, which is what a constitution is, is that people immediately look for the gaps. And then those gaps lead to litigation and you need someone to set up that litigation so it will be caught. So it may well be that a process of writing a constitution that's thought to bring definition actually increases the amount of seeking gaps, uh, areas of contention. The other issue which adds complexity is that you have the problem of how the constitution is going to define the role of the courts in interpreting the constitution. The classic instance one might think here of somewhere to look, for an example, is the US and the US Supreme Court. But of course, the US Constitution, at least arguably, doesn't give a clear role for the US Supreme Court. And it is a couple of decades after the writing of the Constitution where a famous case called Marbury versus Madison defines the role of the US Supreme Court. So there, in a sense, you have a legal decision self-defining the role of the court. And that sort of process, people have to be aware, will exist even with a written constitution. 
Look, we've got this issue around judicial involvement in constitutional matters, and there has been discussion and debate around that. I'm going to ask Catherine if you can reflect on that question about judicial involvement in constitutional matters, given your experience as a legislator. And then I'll come to Lorna for your experience as a, as a, as a member of the judiciary. Catherine. When thinking about as a parliamentarian in the European context, and how we made law and whether we thought about the court, the answer probably would be not exactly, only when it came back to our committees and only when it came back to a decision within the plenary would we really think about it. And I think that that's maybe a reflection that we should have made as MEPs at the, that moment. And that the idea that sometimes that was flagged when we were in trilogue negotiations that this could be challenged and we got our legal services to check it and it was okay, but perhaps the, the council's legal services had a different opinion, that could possibly be a moment where we would seriously question some things. But, but at the end of the day, when we're making law, do we think about how the courts will interpret it? Well, it will be up to the courts to interpret it once we've made the law. So I think that that's something we certainly could have reflected more on as parliamentarians. Lorna, I'm, go I'm going to come to you, but then throw in the question is, as legislators, should we be clearer in our in in intention? I think there are inherent problems with judicial involvement in constitutional matters only because there's a risk that the closer judges get to political questions, the more likelihood is that they're not seen to be independent. And sort of misguidedly, they might be seen to be taking polit political decisions rather than legal ones, and that therefore the, the rule of law might well be undermined. And it clearly would be undermined by that. And we saw following cases such as uh, the case, the first one, there were headlines after that in the, the tabloids that judges were the enemies of the people because they had flouted the will of the people by requiring, requiring Parliament to approve withdrawal from the EU when clearly under the referendum the people had already decided that we should leave uh, the European Union. So there is a risk, I think, uh, there is a real risk of that perception by the public that judges are making political decisions and, and becoming embroiled in politics and are not independent. My own view is that's not the case and the judges in all these politically controversial decisions were applying the law and they, they were making uh, decisions about the lawfulness of those uh, acts. But I do think that it's a question that involves an understanding of the judicial rule, a better understanding probably of the judicial rule. It requires more open access to justice so that the public understand better what the role of the, the judges is and how that relates to government and parliament and how it is actually through the judicial role that the government and parliament can be held to account. Thanks Lorna and that's been incredibly topical over the past wee while. Well John, are there any arguments in favour of having elected judges that some people have talked about? There are arguments for it. Whether they're good arguments, I'm not sure. And one is left with the two related dilemmas, one of which is what is the legitimacy of the judiciary? So that's an issue of trust. And the trust in the judiciary, I think, is maintained now in the way that it isn't in the House of Lords, which where we had a similar debate in a previous podcast. But the can be a, an argument often referred to as the contra-majoritarian argument, particularly operating within written constitutions, where a legislature has passed a law which reflects the will of the people, but for some reason 
is struck down as unconstitutional. And that is a genuine difficulty. I think there also may at times have been in the past arguments for elected justices or elected judges. If you're thinking of a, a world without strong party politics, of small communities, again, probably the sort of communities that the American Constitution was framed around, maybe there were arguments for it. But no, at present, there is no argument, I think, for elected judges. And it would just exaggerate the politicisation and indeed the party politicisation of judges. OK, thanks, John. So, Lorna, are the judiciary inevitably a subject of political contest? Is this just something you're going to have to live with? I'm not sure about contest. Certainly political interest. I think that's inevitable because the judiciary are taking, taking legal decisions about the acts of government and parliament and public authorities. So that is going to happen. But my view is, uh, as I alluded to before, properly understood, the courts are engaging in deciding on legality of disputes between institutions and our constitution. And although they arise in political context, they're all political significance, it shouldn't or needn't embroil the, the judges in political controversy. And I think if the public more generally properly understood that rule, it wouldn't do. Thanks for that. I'll come to Catherine then. John, let me ask you both. I think a greater constitutional role for courts inevitably leads to greater political controversy concerning the judiciary. In the case of where my experience has been of the Brexit issue, I praise the courts for having been involved because there was a need for scrutiny and you needed independent scrutiny. This was not, in my mind, political. This was a, a case where there was a government not listening to what certain evidence in front of them and the fact that you ended up in the courts was last resort rather than being overly political. The need for that was very clear and it was a necessity. But moving forward, the, the difference between having an independent judiciary being questioned for being political over cases where the politics has failed in some respects, is that not what the judiciary is? Is at the end therefore to resolve dispute and give clarity? And the necessity for that is absolutely essential to uphold our democratic values. John, what are your thoughts? Like, like Lorna, I think it's unavoidable that there will be greater political analysis or consideration of the judiciary the more the judiciary is involved in constitutional issues which can't be separated often from political issues. Whether one thinks court decisions are inherently political, political, not necessarily party political, but political, will depend on one's view of law and the judicial process and so on. And I would tend to Lorna's, in some sense, fairly optimistic view that there's a possibility of the judiciary acting in a way that can be described as legal indistinction of political. But I think what's inevitable is that judgments will be deemed political and that will make them be discussed in political terms. And this isn't a feature of the left or the right in particular. Again, if you think of the US Supreme Court in the New Deal period, when they're striking down New Deal legislation, that is seen as political whereas people in favour of the New Deal would say that their own views as natural and correct. The same with the Liberal Warren Court, and then the same now with the more Conservative Court. So once you have discussion of decisions in political terms, 
that is almost more the danger rather than whether they really are political or not. No, I'm just, you know, in reflection, is it not the case that when the politics is failing and the challenges are greater, that more and more of what the demands will be on the judiciary will be will be perceived as being political, but then it will be the test of the judiciary about how it will deal with an increasing challenging environment of what we're existing within. I think this is one for Lorna. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, <laughs> Catherine, I think uh, Catherine, you're right. I mean, these are very challenging times, particularly Brexit and COVID and some of the decisions that are having to be made are potentially breaches of people's rights and that may well come to the courts in some shape or form and the courts and the judges may have to take decisions on those. They, they will be seen as political in the sense that they involve government decisions and infringement of our rights and the judges will no doubt be, be dragged into that. People will people will interpret decisions the way they want. I mean, judges will be accused of being biased uh, against somebody's interests. So I think we do just have to live with that. But I do think steps can be taken, as I say, to make our uh, legal system more open, more transparent and more accessible to people, more widely understood. And so even just down to sort of education, that you know, judges nowadays are doing this quite often, giving talks about the independence of the judiciary, their role within the constitution, allowing people to um, have access to courts through video links, um, virtual courts nowadays. All of that, I think, really helps the judicial role be more widely understood by people and hopefully for people to understand that judges are trying to protect human rights often, protect individuals' rights against it, scrutinising the government, scrutinising the parliament, holding public authorities to account, which is a really, really important role for our country. I think the difficulty of the judiciary's position in this sort of circumstance that Catherine is talking about is illustrated with what's happened in New Zealand just now, which is that the High Court has said that some of the early lockdown measures were illegal, even though they thought they were justified. And explaining that they've done a good job of, but it's pretty difficult. And actually, it's where discussions like this I've found very helpful come to my final question now for you because that issue of judgment and people not quite understanding has, has been something that's really come to the fore in recent times. Lorna, do you think there'd be benefits in the UK for courts to have a greater and more explicit constitutional role? Could we do with sharpening that up? I think uh, in terms of the, whether they should have a greater role, it's quite different from a more explicit role. A greater role I'm, I'm not convinced about because um, I do think at the moment the, the, the checks and balances on between the government, parliament and the, the courts are quite nicely balanced. I think the courts are very keen to make sure that they're not encroaching onto parliamentary territory by legislating and equally into policy decisions that are for the executive. So we have all that in our case law. We've got it in a written form as well in terms of some of our constitutional pieces of legislation like the Constitutional Reform Act. So it's there. I mean, there is a drive within judicial review to try and increase the grounds of judicial review to consider things such as grounds of proportionality. So it's much more akin to a substantive review of a, a government decision considering whether what the government has done has gone beyond what's strictly necessary to achieve their aim. So there is there is a debate within that, but I, from my own point of view, I think at the moment the court's role is as great as it needs to be. I don't think we need a power to strike down legislation, for example, uh, further than we already have. But I do think, the second part of the question, I do think 
it would be of benefit to be more explicit as to what the court's constitutional rule is. Um, and that, I don't mean by that that we need to have a codified you know, a written constitution setting out exactly what the court's role is. But it comes back to my view that the, the more transparent, the more open the courts can be um, with the public and, and the, the function that it's uh, performing, the better the whole okay. constitution will operate. Thank you. So just on that question again, I wonder, John, do you think courts, have to have a greater and more explicit constitutional rule, and then Catherine will come to you for a final comment. My feelings are rather ambivalent on this. I've always tended to think that the traditional view that courts separate from any matter that's in danger of being political, including constitutional ones, is a good thing. And the ideal would be that courts would at least constrain themselves by acting as if they're simply applying law. Uh, sort of thing Lorna was talking about, which is a view, of course, which has a long self-justificatory, but also good tradition within the common law. On the other hand, I think this probably works best in a political situation, which is operating according to a sort of code of behaviour that, Stephen, you previously called the good chap principle, that people will follow a certain set of unwritten norms, again, as a self-constraint. And that situation seems to be irrevocably broken down. So it seems to me that a greater constitutional role for the courts, and particularly a more explicit one, and quite possibly a written constitution, is the least bad option. Yeah, and I know it's a good point, and we, we talked about the good chat principle in a previous podcast, and I think it has broken down. But that apart, Catherine, did you have any final comments on what John and Lauren have said? I think the more we can do to explain our courts and constitutions to the general public, the better. And I, I am more and more attuned to thinking of, of something more codified and written to be able to, to explain to people and, under, and, and allow people to have their rights more clearly identified. That's great. Can I thank the three of you for what was a really insightful and fascinating and timely discussion? And thanks to everybody who's listened to us today.